Good afternoon and welcome to the Aspen Institute Economic Opportunities Program's webinar to boost job quality, money matters. I am Mark Popovich. I'm the director of the Good Companies, Good Jobs Initiative at the Economic Opportunities Program here. And I appreciate my colleagues, Maureen Conway, Amy Blair, and Jenny Weisbrod, as they offered this opportunity to moderate and present on this crucial topic. We particularly appreciate the sponsorship of Prudential Financial and our collaboration with Sarah Kay. Prudential and Sarah enabled the Job Quality Fellowship, which we've won the last couple of years. They co-funded with the Ford Foundation, and they've helped support the 2019-2020 Job Quality Initiative. Let's talk about technology for today's uh, webinar. All attendees should be muted. Uh, please use the question and answer box uh, at the bottom of the Zoom window for uh, submitting questions or comments, and we'll leave time at the end to address those questions. If you have technical problems, chat with Dan Lebidnik or email at eop.program at aspeninstitute.org. Please note that the webinar is being recorded and we will be sharing the recording and the deck uh, in subsequent. Slide six. This is the second in our job quality and practice webinar series. This series is supporting practitioners across fields, including workforce development, economic development, capital deployment, policy, worker advocacy and businesses, among others, to address job quality in their work. Webinars are sharing actionable tools and approaches. They're highlighting leading practitioners work and creating connections across disciplines. Today's webinar is part of a full suite of EOP job quality activities. My colleagues are currently surveying the field on job quality. Our goal in the survey is in part to surface practical job quality tools you may be using or you may need. That survey is open right now and we urge you to complete it. Thank you to all who have already completed the survey. We encourage you to particip participants to submit responses by February 14th later this week. Perhaps after this seminar is open, over, you want to open it up and you want to fill it out. By the way, completing the survey enters you in a raffle for one of three $100 Visa gift cards. So there's a little incentive to participate. Our team is also developing and will launch the Job Quality Tools online library, which is under construction now and will be fueled in part by the survey. And we're presenting this Job Quality webinar series um, this is the second of five sessions. The next, Building Job Quality into Workforce Development Practices, will be uh, on March 3rd, same time, same station. Let me talk about the topic today and as an introductory remark. For most of the past four decades, the majority of America's workers have struggled with stagnant earnings, eroding benefits, rising risks, and rapidly fraying safety net. For all but an elite few, a job is essential to earn a living, access essential benefits such as health insurance and retirement, and to build a career and to advance and increase their economic mobility. But even in last week's monthly jobs report and job quality index, we can see that the continuing trend, the economy is producing jobs, but far too few good jobs and far too many poorer quality jobs. We want to prompt real change from the troubled trajectory of the past and present. To do so, business must be engaged by offering new incentive structures and with support to change from a paradigm where employees are simply cost to be whittled to a bare minimum. Rather, far more firms should actually act and invest on the common CEO assertion, our people are our most important asset. Impact investing is a niche albeit a very fast growing one. This is a complex view of a complex field. Um, it's GIIN estimated last year that global social impact investing exceeds $502 billion with data drawn from 1,300 impact investors across the globe. Over half of that, just under $300 billion, is being invested in the U.S. alone. Most of these funds and the lion's share of the associated $12 trillion ESG investment pool is primarily aligned with environmental concerns and issues. Social issues attract less direct attention 
and a focus on workers is a smaller segment of this social impact segment. That's beginning to change, but it requires innovative thinking, practical tools, market-tested outlets, as well as facilitators and intermediaries. Money matters, the contention is the title of today's webinar. Many investors and lenders seek social and or improved financial returns from considering the job quality of a firm. Some seeking social return can and will forgo return for impact. Most, however, want to do well while doing good. These later demand both market-level returns or near-market-level returns, as well as impact. There's a deeper point, however. Employees are key stakeholders for any firm, no matter the sector or size. Maximizing returns now by shorting workers isn't a great or durable strategy. As such, job quality is, in fact, material to assessing the risk associated with investing or lending to each firm. We have three outstanding leaders of this field to share their experience and insight with us today. We have two leaders, Betsy and Tom, to share the perspective of community development finance institutions, or CDFIs. CDFIs have been impact investment vehicles for decades, investing in financially underserved communities and providing investors with both financial and social returns. Vehicle means in part that they can, they can act as intermediaries. First, they can pool capital from public philanthropic and other sources. Second, they can issue business and other types of loans. Third, they can support and offer TA to improve job quality in firms. Bervi Shabdia, who we're pleased to have with us today, will introduce us to the gainful employment strategy her firm has employed. HCAP is a fund deploying a different form of capital, either or equity investments or flexible mezzanine capital. And if time permits, I'll add some commentary about Working Metrics, a project I've been working on for the last three years and a little bit longer here. Each of our panelists is about to uh, make a presentation of about 10 minutes each, and we've been asking them to address three questions. One, how does your work or your organization connect to financing, lending, to businesses around job quality, or how do you work with others who do so? Two, how do you or your organization or how does your tool define job quality? Why did you make those two key choices? And three, briefly introduce your tool, a lesson or two you've learned along the way. So let me throw it to Betsy Beeman. We're fortunate to indeed have Betsy Beeman from CEI Coastal Enterprises Inc. She's an EOP job quality fellow to boot, so she's a, a double gain for us, uh, a real colleague. CEI issues loans and addresses job quality directly, like some other CDFIs, but they also conduct first-rate technical assistance with business borrowers, and they're a great researcher and policy advocate in Maine and well beyond. So take it away, Betsy. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you all today and to share our experience growing good jobs. Um, so the first slide, please. Um, I just wanted to, for those of you who don't, and then the next slide after the title. Great. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with CEI, we've really, we've been around for over 40 years and really all, the entire time have been focusing on building an economy that works for everyone. We're a mission-driven investor. And as, as Mark noted, sometimes also called a community development financial institution. But really that mission is around growing good jobs and green businesses and harnessing both of those activities to expand more broadly shared prosperity. We do this by integrating our financing, our business development coaching, and as Mark noted, policy advocacy at the state and federal levels. Um, on the financing side, we provide a continuum of different kinds of capital. We provide debt, for small businesses ranging from microloans to over a million dollar loans. We have an equity um, or venture capital subsidiary that, that does equity investing, and we also do tax credit financing. Um, we work intensively in Maine, and through several of our financing subsidiaries, we work regionally and nationally with a focus on rural communities and our small gateway cities. But fundamentally, we're really a small business champion. Um, just to give you a sense of scale, last year we invested a little under $25 million 
in small businesses and gave uh, business advice to about over 1400 entrepreneurs. Next slide, please. Great, so Mark asked sort of how do we define good jobs? Um, you know, at CEI, we've always believed that if you work full time, you shouldn't be poor. And I think we, um, you know, it's just, it's been more recently that it's been clear that not all jobs were good jobs. Um, and so it became, you know, a couple of years ago when I started at CEI, we really, we took a step back to say, how do we, how do we want to define good jobs? Because different parts of the organization um, was defining good jobs differently. So first we actually turned to PCV. You'll hear a little, little bit from Tom later. They had done some really terrific um, work before we started diving into this topic. Um, we also talked to a lot of workers and employers across Maine, and we came up with a definition that's a little bit different from PCVs, but it's on the screen in front of you uh, with these seven different factors. Um, obviously, a living wage is critical, and we use the MIT living wage calculator uh, to determine that. Under basic benefits, we look for paid time off, health benefits, and retirement savings. Um, you know, as is noted here, we allow uh, companies to, um, you know, we don't have a um, cookie cutter approach. We see what they offer and we see if we feel that it rises to the level um, that fits this framework. And finally, and very importantly, a fair, do they provide a fair and engaging workplace? Um, a scheduling notice of at least two weeks because that was a key contributor of both stress as well as cost for workers if they have elder care and child care responsibilities. Do they have a performance, an annual performance review, an opportunity to speak with their boss or supervisor about how they're doing, where they could go next, and then providing uh, training or tuition assistance so they can improve their skills and, and advance either in the company where they work currently or or elsewhere. Next slide, please. So next we created a scorecard that enabled us to translate that definition into our investment memo. And that's really, it gives, it was a, an ability for us to have a conversation, do some analysis with the company and develop a snapshot of where the company is in terms of their, of their workforce. So as you'll see here, it's, their current and projected employees, how they um, come out on, their, on our good jobs framework. We use colors to try to make that come alive and make it quite clear how they're doing. Um, a little more detail on the jobs that they're projecting to create as they grow, what some of their key challenges are with their workforce and the extent to which um, those are areas where we think we can work with them. Um, and, and we've basically integrated that into our investment memo. So now it's part of the due diligence that we do with all the companies that we work with. Next slide, please. So this slide just shows that process of how a company might come to us that is looking for capital of different kinds where we have a diligence process where we come up with an investment decision, close that, investment and then work with that company while they're receiving our and using our financing. And the bottom part then shows sort of what is the engagement with our workforce team. As the company sort of applies for that financing, uh, we introduce them to our workforce team. They go out and, and speak with the company, um, do the assessment, so creating that scorecard that we just looked at. Um, actually, we fold that analysis of their job quality to inform the pricing of the loan. So what's the interest rate um, is based not only on the cost of capital to us, but also on that mission impact that we're anticipating given the growth of, of jobs and the quality of those jobs, both existing and anticipated. Um, and then that's folded in to the um, part of the investment memo and the loan agreement. And in many, but not all cases, businesses actually also then sign an employment and training agreement to work with us on, on looking at how they're investing in their workers um, and, 
as, and then we will help them improve that. Uh, we have found in this full employment labor market that businesses actually are very interested in and eager to work with us because they see the potential benefit that that will provide to them from a business perspective. So a couple of examples. Um, next slide, please. Oh, yes, great. Um, so this is an example of a company based here in Portland that we were a very early investor in um, and has grown to over 500 employees in Maine and nationally. They were experiencing this significant growth. Um, so they desperately needed to both retain the employees that they had and be able to attract good quality um, job applicants. We worked with them to really set up a performance management culture and, and sort of approach in their company to make it very clear how um, employees could advance um, and earn regular wage increases as they achieve those goals. And this company has been growing very fast and, and in, a, in a full employment economy has been able to both retain um, almost all of the employees and bring on new employees that's really helped them to meet very aggressive growth goals here in Maine as well as in other parts of the country. Next slide. So this is a much smaller business in central Maine, um, a multi-generation family dairy farm spun off a waste to energy company. And they were having a great deal of difficulty attracting and retaining employees in that spin-off company. Um, they found that they were having to pay a lot of overtime. They were not able to bring on new customers because the level of retention was very poor. Um, so they came to us for some financing and we worked with their management to increase um, not only the, the wages, but the benefits they were providing from paid time off only to include health insurance and a retirement savings plan as well as having regular performance reviews. And now this 40, fam 40 employees and their families have health insurance and have started to save for their retirement. Um, I thought I would just close with a little bit of data. Um, so we started um, this work um, with under the new Good Jobs framework a little over two, around two years ago. And so far we've collected data on over 100 companies that included over 1,700 employees. And after one year, um, we saw the initial impact that 30, so a third of the companies showed improvement year over year in the quality of their jobs. Um, and that reflects a varying level of engagement from our workforce team. Some of them, we just had a conversation with them early on and that was it. Others we were working very intensively with. So we're excited that, that we had that level of improvement in just one year um, and because we've learned a lot in that first year to be able to deepen that impact. Secondly, and sort of um, interestingly, um, looking only at our equity investment portfolio, for the businesses meeting our good jobs definition, where the business improved at least one element of that seven um, part definition, the revenue growth of those companies that had seen an improvement in the quality of their jobs, in one improvement, the revenue growth of those companies was 47%, whereas for those businesses that didn't have any improvement in their job quality, the revenue growth of those companies was only 5%. So that's obviously only a correlation, it's not causation, but it was a pretty big delta, pretty big difference. Um, so we were excited to, to see that investing in a company's workforce and making job quality improvements did seem strongly correlated with an increase um, in revenue growth for that company. So I'll stop there and uh, happy to take questions at the end. Betsy, love to have the latest up-to-date information on doing well and doing good from the companies you invested in. The eightfold difference is quite impressive. Um, I'm pleased to next introduce Bervi Shabdia. I was very, uh, uh, excited to meet Bearby when she was selected as a job quality fellow at the uh, EOP program because I had known for a while about her work, but also now HCAP is a decade old. It just doesn't seem possible 
that a decade has gone by. I, I remember when they were starting off in this work and um, building the gainful employment framework. So HCAP is a little bit different than um, CEI or PCV. Um, they are a lender, but they they really are focused on gross capital as opposed to operating capital. Um, and they're really focused on lower middle market firms. So they're firms of a particular size and the capital is of a particular nature. They go from equity investments where they're taking an ownership stake and they might even have a position on the board of directors. They're certainly deeply involved with the company to something that is known in the capital deployment business as flexible mezzanine and debt structures, which means other kinds of things other than equity investments. Their gainful employment structure is the framework they use to select, invest, and engage with firms. And uh, Bearvy uh, has been leading that work um, within the firm um, and uh, throughout the range of their engagement with the firm. So I'm very pleased to have Bearvy with us today and take it away, Bearvy. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, thanks for the opportunity and excited to share our work at HCAP. Um, with the participants on this call. So going off of what Mark said, um, HCAP provides mezzanine debt and private equity primarily to um, underserved businesses in the lower middle market. We focus on California and the Western United States. And when we speak about um, an underserved business, we are talking about businesses that are either located in low to moderate income areas or that employ a majority of the workforce that is low to moderate income wage earning. Um, we talk about sort of the work that we do um, across different funds. So we raise um, pools of capital and we deploy that pool of capital um, and each pool is referenced as a fund. Um, since we were founded in 2000, we've managed over $310 million in capital and in invested across 50-plus uh, companies. We think, you know, this gives us a really um, unique opportunity as a provider of capital to help uh, our portfolio companies um, think about quality jobs, which is key to uh, our mission at HCAP. We're an impact investing fund, and we work closely with um, all of our investments to improve job quality throughout the tenure um, of our relationship. We invest anywhere from two to 15 million um, into our businesses, and, and it spans um, a number of industries, healthcare, software, and manufacturing. Um, this slide on the bottom, you'll see some uh, statistics around uh, the composition of employees across our investment portfolio um, in terms of 61% um, employees having you know, or earning low to moderate income wages and a predominantly female and minority workforce. Um, we, we really believe that our impact approach differentiates us in the market. Um, we've seen instances in which we have been able to win competitive opportunities uh, given the values alignment of um, these investments and our impact approach. We might not necessarily be the lowest cost source of capital in the market, um, but our impact approach really resonates with our portfolio companies, and it's something that we screen for um, in detail during our diligence process. Um, throughout sort of, you know, the last three years, we've improved 34% uh, of jobs across our portfolio, and it's something that um, we, we all have accountability for inside our organization. Um, moving on to the next slide, um, the approach that we've developed internally is called the gainful jobs approach, um, and it's a two-fold approach. One, it's a very quantitative um, measurement system to assess existing job quality standards um, throughout our portfolio companies. And um, it's based on understanding, you know, the, the benefits 
that are in place um, prior to investment, but also we drill down um, really deeply on a per-employee um, basis. We've developed a system here in-house that allows us to actually integrate into the HR systems of our portfolio companies, so we do direct um, data pulls around really understanding, um, you know, how um, wages are um, you know, structured throughout the company, understanding uh, demographic data, understanding opportunities for advancement. And then the second part of our approach is really around active uh, portfolio engagement. And so we work hand in hand with the management teams at our portfolio companies um, to develop a roadmap around um, job improvements and we track that on a quarterly basis. And we have um, you know, quarterly check-in calls and border, quarterly um, discussions at all of our board meetings around what each of our companies is doing to improve job quality. Um, when we think about job quality, we think about it broadly in two themes, economic opportunity and health and wellness. And, um, you know, within economic opportunity, we're looking at um, broad-based participation. So, you know, does, do employees have an opportunity to earn um, or create wealth outside of just wages? Um, we look at opportunities for advancement, um, both on the job training and the ability for, say, someone on the shop floor to move into a management position. Um, we also look at sustainable livelihoods. Um, which is a living wage. And then under health and wellness, we're looking at paid sick days and wellness. Um, for us, we deeply believe in um, the operational impact cycle in that when you invest in employees, um, it results in increased engagement, which, which will then translate into operational excellence and, and finally, you know, improved financial performance um, and, and better outcomes for all stakeholders. Um, moving on to the next slide, this is a case study for one of um, our investments. Mission Senior Living um, is based in Nevada and is a developer and operator of senior care communities. Um, when we invested into uh, Mission Healthcare, we did a baseline analysis of sort of, you know, all of the workplace practices that were in place. and. Um, you know, we quickly identified that 94% um, of the staff earned low to moderate income wages and 75% of the staff was female. And based on that, we worked very closely with um, our management team at Mission Senior Living to build out a roadmap for improving job quality. Um, and we really focused on access to retirement savings plans, um, credit building opportunities, and on-site workplace training. You know, a, a very quick example of um, one of the initiatives we put in place was around um, access to uh, banking. We we, under, we realized that about 40% of the frontline staff at Mission Senior Living, um, you know, these are sort of the janitors and the cooks in the, the, the facilities, um, were using payday lenders um, uh, to, to cash their checks. And, and we realized that, you know, this, there was something that we can do about it. And so we worked closely with um, a local credit union to um, pull together a um, financial wellness package and, um, you know, have education opportunities um, and credit building opportunities for um, the frontline staff at Mission Senior Living and, um, you know, management would contribute um, a dollar amount to, to each account that was in good standing along with the credit union for employees that chose to participate in that program. You know, we're really pleased to say that uh, this particular facility was awarded the Perry Foundation's Endeavor Award for Quality Care in Assisted Living um, in 2018, which sort of goes to our thesis um, and one that Betsy touched on during her um, presentation around, you know, uh, in, investing in employees really results in operational excellence and increased financial performance. Uh, going on to the next slide, wanted to just quickly touch on some of the lessons learned. Um, you know, this has been a multi-year. Hey Barry, it's Mark. I just. Hey Barry, it's Mark. I just want yeah. to give you sort of a one minute, so if you could kind of focus on the lessons. Absolutely. 
Thanks. Absolutely. So, you know, um, in terms of lessons learned, um, we've, you know, this has been a multi-year process for us. And so we've learned that it's important to create an approach that's flexible. Um, we have a number of different industries in our portfolio. Um, and so there's not, you know, one size fits all. We really needed to be mindful of bandwidth. Um, we're investing in small businesses. Many of them don't have developed HR departments. And we also needed to cultivate, um, you know, a culture of accountability um, within all stakeholders, both internally and externally. Sort of, you know, my, my closing comment is on where are we going now? Um, what are we doing now? Um, we're really thinking about how we can um, scale our work as we scale as an organization. And so we've built out um, over the last 18 months an online platform um, towards our impact approach, which is a real-time dashboard around job quality that provides meaningful data to our portfolio companies um, that they themselves can then use to make informed decisions around improving job quality and um, really focus on impact measurement and reporting, uh, both for portfolio companies and our limited partners. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll end my portion there. Okay. T uh, thanks, Barry. That was great. Um, and I'm, I, I bet uh, we don't have a video that Tom and Betsy and I were all shaking our head on the uh, understand the bandwidth question um, that, that you raised as a lesson. So I'm, I'm pleased to introduce Tom. Uh, I'm not sure when I started working or or Tom and I ran into each other, but he's been a cherished colleague and we've been working on, on parallel and often intersecting tracks for a number of years now. Uh, as you can see, Tom's uh, Director of Research and Consulting at PCV, or affectionately known um, as, as the acronym. He's really a, a really frontline thinker about how we should define job quality and a good company. He conducted the widely circulated five pillars of job quality report, which uh, Betsy mentioned earlier on, and many people have modeled after. They uh, do operate a, a, a job quality lending fund, and he'll spend much of his time today walking us through the PC, PCV job quality toolbox. So, uh, Tom, take it away. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Mark, and good to be with you all today, and so wonderful to also follow uh, Bearvy and Betsy, uh, two leaders in job quality. We continue at PCV to learn so much from the work of CEI and HCAP. And I'd encourage you all who are listening today to, you know, dive deeper into the resources that CEI and HCAP uh, are sharing publicly. Um, so a little bit of background about PCV. We are CDFI, like C uh, CEI and Betsy's organization. However, we're a little different than most CDFIs in that within Pacific Community Ventures, we have a research and consulting practice that's focused on supporting impact investors. So as, as part of that work, we have seen firsthand through working with our clients across the impact investing industry, including CDFIs, but much more broadly to encompass pension funds, insurers, private equity fund managers, working across asset classes in different contexts. But within that, we've really seen the power of capital to be a tremendous lever in generating beneficial social and environmental outcomes. And so we believe the same thing holds true when it comes to using capital to advance a job quality agenda. Um, and so that's something that we've been working on at PCV. Uh, next slide, please. So in terms of what that looks like in practice at PCV, um, our work on job quality spans approximately three work streams. So first, uh, we provide loans, mentorship, resources, and financial incentives to our small business borrowers to help them improve job quality over the life of their loan. So that combination of resources is the way that we're engaging directly with small businesses on this topic of job quality and the way that we're helping them really strengthen their bottom line. Um, so that work is really what makes us uh, a CDFI at PCD. The second work stream of ours uh, comes out of our research and consulting team that I'm a part of, where we consult to other organizations who are interested in integrating a job quality focus or approach within their work with businesses. So for example, we're currently partnering with three CDFIs across the country, Detroit Development Fund, Excelsior Growth Fund, and Working Solutions, who are part of the J.P. Morgan Chase Entrepreneurs of Color Fund. And we're collaborating with them to adapt our approach at PCB that we've been taking to working with small businesses on job quality 
to work within their own lending processes and approach to engaging with small businesses. And so we believe that at PCB, we need to be sharing our model with others and seeing how it can be adapted to other organizations working within different contexts. The third work stream on job quality at PCB is really focused on conducting research and developing resources that will ultimately bolster the field's capacity and ability to work on job quality and to advance our collective efforts. So in the past, we've done uh, research that looks at defining and measuring what is a quality job, and I'll get into that in a little bit later. Uh, we've also done research looking at the role that public policy could play in incentivizing greater investments that could spur improvements in job quality. And most recently, we've published the Good Jobs, Good Business Toolkit, which is the resource Mark alluded to, and I'll talk about that later in my slides. The next slide, please. So where all this work kind of began for us at PCG was in 2015 in reflecting on kind of our history at PCV, uh, we're an organization that's over 20 years old now, and thinking about the, the work that we've been doing with small businesses and the jobs that we've been helping to support through our financing, we realized in looking at the troubling trends around rising inequality and yet record low unemployment that we needed to do more as a CDFI at PCV. And so the first step in doing more at PC was to be able to create a basis for conversation around what is a quality job and to understand to what extent our efforts were moving the needle on job quality. So how we'd go about measuring job quality. So we embarked on this research in 2015 and published it in 2016 in a piece called Moving Beyond Job Creation, where we interviewed uh, employees, business owners, experts focused on HR, job quality, and reviewed the academic literature. And where we landed was with a synthesized definition of, of what is a quality job. And so that included five core components or characteristics of a quality job. So those are a living wage, basic benefits, career building opportunities, wealth building opportunities, and a fair and engaging workplace. So they, they look and feel very similar to the definitions that CEI is using and HCAP is using. And that's not necessarily surprising given this was the synthesis of uh, what folks' views were on what is a quality job. But what that really did with this definition was it created a basis for conversation internally at PC around what we mean when we say a quality job, and it helped us clearly communicate what we were hoping to achieve with our small business borrowers. Now, a couple things about the definition. Um, one important thing to recognize is that we do not expect that small businesses are immediately going to be able to offer all five core components of a quality job. We view our role at PCV as being able to work collaboratively with small businesses through financing to help them improve job quality over the life of their loan and get them on a path towards one day growing and being able to offer all five uh, components of a quality job. The second thing to say about the definition is it doesn't answer who ultimately receives the jobs at the end of the day. And we believe this is a really important aspect to examining the underlying characteristics of a quality job. So at PCV, what we seek to do is apply a racial equity lens and we're doing our analysis around job quality and we encourage others to do the same so that way we can understand whether or not people of color are benefiting as job quality is improving over time at a business. And then really important to our work was being able to measure changes in job quality and so that's something that we do both when we're doing underwriting of a potential loan and doing our due diligence as well as tracking that over time over the life of our loan. Next slide please. So that work has been foundational to everything that we do at PCB. And this slide here describes what our current approach is as we work directly with small businesses on job quality. So we're leveraging a combination of resources and tools. First, we're providing fair and affordable small business loans that range between $10,000 and $200,000. And then as we make a loan, we're actually pairing our small business borrowers with one of PCB's volunteer business advisors. And so what we seek to do is pair them with an advisor who has expertise in a particular area of job quality or in an area where a business owner has communicated particular needs. So that way they're getting the specific tailored mentorship and guidance to be able to work on their business. And on average, our business advisors are working with uh, business owners between three to five hours per month. And then through that process, we're trying to track changes in job quality over time. And what we're doing is actually rewarding small business owners as they make improvements over time on job quality through our measurement approach with modest financial incentives. So these are between $100 to $750. 
And uh, it's more of a signal to our small business owners that PCB is serious about job quality and that we think they should be rewarded with something modest to recognize their success. And as part of that, one of the, the key resources that we're bringing to bear is this Good Jobs, Good Business Toolkit. And I'll talk about that now on the next slide. So what is the Good Jobs, Good Business Toolkit? Well, this is a resource that we've developed uh, over the last couple of years with support from Walmart through the Aspen Institute's Reimagine Retail Initiative. And it's essentially a curated collection of uh, resources, tools, worksheets, policies that tackled essentially the how-to around how a small business owner could go about improving job quality across the different core characteristics of job quality that we described earlier. And so uh, the, the toolkit was something that we piloted under Reimagine Retail with our small business borrowers, and we were pleased to see some, some promising results in terms of improvements in job quality as well as some benefits to the, the bottom line of the business. And so based on those promising results, we took the, pub, the, the toolkit that was in PDF form and translated it into an online form. So in the fall of last year, we actually published the toolkit online and it's available at goodjobs.pacificcommunityventures.org. And it's free for anyone to use uh, as part of their work on job quality within a business. Um, but if you go to the website and you click on one of the faces of one of our small business owners, um, you'll be able to dive into specific resources that pertain to that particular aspect of job quality. So if a small business owner is interested in boosting employment, employee engagement, they can click on that section of the toolkit and access tailored guidance that speaks to how they could go about improving job quality from an employee engagement perspective within kind of their resource constraints. Uh, so within each section, there's the kind of how-to guidance. There's also success stories that share how their peers have focused on that particular aspect of job quality. There's a uh, detail that describes the business case for focusing on something like employee engagement or another area of job quality. And then there's also the ability to uh, connect with one of PCV's volunteer business advisors. So that way, uh, the small business owner can get some additional support as they're working on improvements in job quality to strengthen their business. And so as we've seen kind of the toolkit be used by our small business borrowers and with uh, PCV's business advisors, I think one of the, the key things that we've learned in this process is that the, the use of a small business advisor is just really a key ingredient in the ultimate success of a small business owner and taking steps to improve job quality over time. Uh, a small business advisor is really able to serve as a sounding board to uh, a business owner. They can be a thought partner and ultimately they can be kind of a source of reassurance as a business owner seeks to do something new and frankly work on their business rather than inside the day-to-day -day business. So I can't stress enough kind of the, the key element to a lot of this is ultimately that advisor relationship with the small business owner. And then I think another promising thing we've been seeing in terms of lessons learned related to the toolkit is that small business owners are kind of taking the resources within the toolkit and using it as inspiration and as a jumping off point to develop their own tailored or customized resources that specifically uh, focus on how job quality would work within the context of their own business. And so one of the exciting things about now the toolkit being online is it's much more dynamic and we're now going to be able to upload those resources that small business owners are creating in concert with their advisors. So that way we can share them with other small business owners and they can benefit from the work of their peers. So there's much more to come related to our work with good jobs and in creating this toolkit and I'd encourage you all to take a look at our website, goodjobs.pacificcommunityventures.org and, and please share with us any feedback related to this. And we'd encourage you also to share any resources that you've found helpful in your work on job quality. Um, we're really excited to continue to develop this resource and hope that it can be a resource for a wide variety of organizations who are engaged in improving job quality. And so, as I mentioned, you can access the toolkit at goodjobs.pacificcommunityventures.org. And then you can also find our broader job quality research, including the paper Moving Beyond Job Creation that offers our definition and approach to measurement at Pacific Community Ventures slash quality jobs. And with that, I'll turn it over to Mark. Tom's always working hard to improve the tool, and I appreciate his call for input on other tools. Do fill out our survey first um, so that we can share that information with him, and he knows that we'll, uh, we'll collaborate with him in sharing that information. Um, 
I'm going to talk rather quickly because we're, I want to leave time for questions. I'm going to present today about the, uh, uh, the working metrics toolkit. Uh, can you go down a couple slides? So this is a joint effort by Good Companies, Good Jobs, which is part of the Economic Opportunities Program, and um, uh, that's been and, and Working Metrics, which is our for-profit partner. It's been supported by investments and grants from Hitachi Foundation, Ford Foundation, Cerdna Foundation, Lumina, and most recently the Irvine Foundation. Let me go to the next slide. This is my organization, which is sort of my app, the Working Metrics functionality. We've created something to try to measure, assess, benchmark, report, facilitate the exchange of data between users that's reported at uh, individual employee levels from companies and really does um, do a rigorous look at the job quality of a company while balancing trying to minimize the data reporting burden while maximizing the accuracy and reliability. Next slide, please. In number one, the analytics determine, this is really our, def, our operationalizable definition of job quality. We focus in on frontline workers. Currently, that's workers earning the uh, $60,000 a year or less. We're looking at the turnover retention rate. What's the increase in their average earnings over a period of time? Is there a growth or a decline on a net basis in jobs? and what's the quality and uh, access to benefits. Those are the hard metrics that we use, and it's a five-star system that I'll show you in a minute. The benchmarks, importantly, are uh, established nationally by industry and subsector, so we're only comparing like with like because that's the only way that you can get meaning out of this data and, uh, and, and analysis. The, the next thing that we've added was uh, assessment of diversity and inclusion for race, ethnicity, and gender, because we believe that's part of a good place to work and a good company. And we look at those hard uh, data and, and results uh, for, those, uh, for those diversity and inclusion groups. Let me just show you quickly an example. Uh, this is the top third of a social impact scorecard. It's a five-star rated system. It shows you on the left-hand side, the blue bar is the actual performance of the company with the number over to the right. The gray band is the benchmark for the industry. So again, you can see the hard metrics, the benefits. Then we'll go to the next slide. This shows you how we show uh, and what we show around, in this case, gender. This is a long-term care facility, um, continuing care retirement facility. On the left-hand side, you can see that over time, uh, how they're split between men and women, male and female has changed and compares it to the industry for that region of the country. So you can see that they have a little lower percentage of males than the industry as a whole. And then next to it, you can see the bars of performance. So males have had a higher retention rate and of course, yet again, a higher earnings rate gain uh, and they've had a higher job growth range. So you can drill down into looking at how these uh, job quality metrics have affected these different groups. I'll just go quickly to the next slide. And we also do that by uh, race and ethnicity um, in terms of, of, of where we go now. So I'm gonna actually stop there to save time. Um, this is a tool that we've created to facilitate either we think lenders or investors to gather information from uh, their potential borrowers or investees, and then to monitor performance over time. It could be used by a, uh, a technical assistance or business consultant to sort of drill into what are the issues at that business and improve it. But essentially we're building a tool that is to connect the money influences on a business, either investors or, or, or lenders or procurement systems. Um, and we've we've had some uh, good start on having some rollout of this uh, of this uh, process. So um, I actually had a question that I'll just lead off with, and then I'll look at the questions that we're getting in over the uh, the banister. Um, so data burden. Um, in some cases, the loans that you're being involved in this doesn't really apply to HCAP so much. Are fairly are fairly modest in size. So 
the bandwidth demands on companies to provide the data, has that been an issue at all? Are you, are you finding that with the loans that the size that you have, that you're having the influence on businesses to consider the actual practice changes that, re, that result in job quality improvements? And, and maybe um, Betsy could take that first and then uh, maybe toss that to Tom as well. You know, we work with, um, with small businesses where we've provided very small loans or large, larger loans. Um, we don't, um, we find that we have leverage across loan size. Um, so it's really not a, we don't see a strong correlation between loan size and, and impact. Um, I mean, ironically, I mean, the smaller businesses that sometimes are asking for smaller pieces of capital are the very ones that don't have an HR department and sometimes benefit the most from our technical assistance. Um, so um, we use both of those for leverage. Tom, did you have a additional comment? Yeah, I mean, in terms of data and reporting, we do actually write into our loan docs um, a requirement around data and getting data around job quality. Um, but, you know, I mentioned the financial incentives earlier, and we are providing very small financial incentive as part of receiving um, both financials as well as impact data and data focused on job quality. So that's kind of one mechanism that we're using. Uh, in terms of, you know, the correlation to loan size and kind of the influence you have with a particular business to make changes related to job quality, I think in our experience, it relates much more to the business owner themselves. Um, you know, we're making loans between 10,000 and 200,000. And I think that the key thing there is to what extent is really the business owner seeing kind of a business need through a job quality lens and are we able to uh, support them in being able to address their challenges. So it goes back ultimately to the interest of the business owner and collaborating on job quality as being kind of the key driver. Thanks. Um, I'm going to toss this to Bearvy first and maybe go around the, the, the horn and see who has an answer. Um, and I'll, I'll add my own. Do any of the panelists collaborate with labor unions or unionized businesses to advance job quality, successful career pathways, and adequate wages and benefits for workers? If not, what role do the panelists believe labor unions and apprenticeship programs have in advancing job quality in the workplace? Bearvy? Sure. Um, so, you know, typically, no, we don't, we don't really um, work um, in our space um, with labor unions. Um, to, you know, in a, in a broad context, I think many of um, the businesses which we play in, um, you know, don't have a lot of labor union um, participation. That said, I think that there is a real um, you know, solid need for um, public policy and a public policy agenda to further job quality. Um, we do work more with, um, you know, apprenticeship programs or other um, workforce programs um, within the areas in which we invest to try to build relationships um, to, to get folks from those programs into our um, portfolio companies. Again, you know, um, with unemployment being at, you know, historically all-time lows, um, recruiting and retaining talent is just paramount. And so, um, you know, having a good talent pool is, is critical to all of our um, fast-growing businesses. I just want to add ask a little bit further on that, Barry. So within the gainful employment concept, if you had mm -hmm. management and a labor union, let's say somebody was coming in for a loan, where there's labor and management cooperation and they have a structure in place uh, to address some of these issues around uh, job quality and career pathways. Would that generally be a positive for you um, in considering that they fit in the gainful employment strategy or neutral? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think um, the more intentional our management teams are um, and the more that they've shown that this is critical to them. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's something that's really positive and something that we would favor. Okay, um, did uh, Betsy, do you want to jump in? 
Yeah, this is Betsy. Um, you know, the question sort of promotes uh, a brief comment about our role as a connector. Um, when you talked about the question of apprenticeship programs, we frequently help connect small businesses with our apprenticeship program at the state level. And it's a terrific um, sort of route for to higher skills and wage increases. Um, so we think they're very valuable. Um, and when we can, we do connect businesses we're working with with apprenticeship programs um, as part of our strategy. But I I'm sure that Tom does the same. Um, you know, we not only rely on our own resources in-house, but are frequently helping connect small businesses who don't really know the ecosystem of support out there um, with other partners, whether it's job training organizations, ESOL programs, if they are hiring uh, folks who are immigrants and refugees and need to improve their, their English in the workplace um, and other resources. That's a big part of, of what we, of the resources that we bring to the relationship with a small business. Uh, this is Mark. On the unionization question, you know, it, 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 we were thinking long and hard when we came up with this definition and the metrics. We believe that a unionized shop is going to perform better on all of those metrics, all of them, than a non-unionized shop. So both in terms of displaying that information to a lender or investor or to a procurement system, we believe a unionized shop where there's good labor management cooperation and things are moving forward together would show up in a positive way. We don't ask specifically about union, unionization penetration. We do ask and we display information about whether they have a large percentage of workers who are 1099 or uh, unclassified as employees of the firm. Um, I'm gonna go a lightning round uh, for a couple things. Um, one is, uh, would you choose to not invest in a company that didn't comply with your improving their job quality uh, approach? And that's kind of a yes or no. And let's go across uh, Bearvy. Um, so uh, yeah, if, if a company um, didn't commit to our impact framework, we would not invest in them. Tom? We would in recognition that small businesses have multiple priorities. And so at one juncture, as they're taking on a loan, they might not be ready to do the deep work needed to improve job quality and might wish to do it later on in their growth trajectory. A thoughtful answer, Betsy. Uh, you know, um, I'd say we don't, we don't invest in companies that have poor practices around their jobs. Um, but we would invest in a company that is not uh, maybe that has decent quality jobs, but for whatever reason, either don't want to or it's uh, it's not relevant to their business strategy to be actively engaged with us around improving the job quality. So, for example, we we invest in some real estate development where um, the employer may be providing um, uh, temporary construction jobs, but then it's going to be tenants in a building that um, that we have no direct connection with. That would be another arena where, um, you know, we're making an investment. The investment is to upgrade or, or make a facility functional, um, but we have no direct connection with the ultimate tenants in the building. Um, Great. Um, so a big quick question um, to Bearby, is there an HCAP East Coast equivalent? Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll look around and we'll try to answer that yeah. question. Um, does your good jobs investment strategy, this will be the last question and we're going a little bit over. Does each of your good jobs investment strategy, well, this doesn't apply to Bearby, also apply to microloans? So HCAP doesn't do microloans. I don't. To what extent, uh, I don't know, uh, Betsy and Tom, I guess. Yes, it does. Okay, Tom? Yeah, we're, we're making loans that are bigger than microloans, but the partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase, we are working with Working Solutions that does make microloans. So the question is, how do you embed a job quality focus 
in a micro lending scenario where maybe the business is small and doesn't yet have employees? Can you embed quality jobs in the DNA of that business? Okay, last question and then we'll close. So we have a lot of workforce development folks who are listening in on the call today. The kind of data that you'd be getting from a company or an assessment of a company that you might have about their job quality, is that something that a company could easily share with a workforce development organization who might be working with them in terms of matching workforce or skilling up the workforce? Uh, let's go with Betsy first and then Tom and then Barabee. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason that they couldn't. Okay. I like that answer. Uh, Bearby. Oh, um, yes. I mean, our, um, approach is, um, you know, meant to be open source in many ways. And so it's, um, designed in a way that it can easily be shared. And Tom. Yes. I think if the relationship is there, it's, it's absolutely doable. And I should also mention that there is a really big opportunity for workforce development organizations to use a job quality approach with their uh, relationships with employers as kind of an additional engagement strategy. And that's something that we're partnering on at PCD and excited to, to share in the, coming, in the coming years. And that's in terms of working metrics, that's one of the applications for the, the, um, the, the, the system that we've developed. So I'm going to draw us to a, conclu a conclusion for today. I want to thank our expert panelists uh, for their time and for the fairly large, I mean, the very large group of participants that joined us for the hour today. Uh, we are pleased to bring this to you. And please remember that you should be going online and trying to win one of those $100 Visa gift cards, but more importantly, providing us yeah. with the answer to the um, uh, the survey about job quality tools uh, that you may have or that you may need. And uh, make sure that you tune in for the, the next uh, job quality webinar. We'll be in touch with you about giving you the opportunity to sign up. And thank you and have a good day. Thank you, Mark.